All right, welcome to the Teach Good Rockstar podcast. And on this episode, we have my pal Rob Carroll. Now, I don't even know. I'm, we're going to have to, the first thing we're going to do when we start this thing is we're going to have to go back in time and try to recreate how I, uh, I met this whole crew. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with my memory and then he can edit it because I might have, you know, fabricated a little bit and exaggerated over the years. But uh, Rob is, uh, man, his cat is one of my favorite principals in the nation. He was the principal at the 1199 in Henderson, Kentucky, South Lights Elementary. I'm going to go 20 plus years if I remember right. And um, just an amazing amazing story of transformation and what can what what is possible when a group of people come together and just fill themselves full of a passion and compassion for kids and the difference that they've made in the lives of those kids and that community I absolutely love it and for those of you who've been to the Teach a Rockstar show you know um, you've uh, you've you've heard the story you know you've heard me talk about what the what they have been able to do and uh, and we're going to talk about that today and where what he's got going on he's um he's re- he says retired but my friend Springer he uh, he taught me over the years that th- these kind of people never retire they just repurpose and now he is a professor at I believe that's the University of Southern Indiana and he has a, a he does a, he, he he does presentations around the nation and we're going to get into all of it here we go teach good rockstar podcast with Rob Carroll. Let's do this. No, man. So here's, here's what I remember. I remember, I don't remember if this was in Nashville or Louisville or where, but some, um, some, some city and I was doing my Teach Go Rockstar event in a hotel possibly a Holiday Inn Express. And right there in the front row was a group of just beautiful, beautiful teachers, beautiful young ladies. And um, and, and what I mean by beautiful, I mean they were uh, just glowing. Like the, the smile and they were just into it. And you talk about a bunch of note takers and they had different colored pens and highlighters and they're... And um, so I was just like fascinated with why, like, why are these teachers, rarely do you see a group of teachers with matching shirts all smiling together at the same time. And so I had to, I had to dig in and at the break, I said, what is going on with you people? And they told me where they're from, and they told me the 1199, and I thought, what is – because, you know, when I grew up in the Northeast, um, when you listen for school closures, they would call school numbers like PS, like public school, you know, 1722. And so you're just hoping to hear your number. And so I thought that's what it was. And then they told me this story about the 1199 and what they were doing and what they had going on. And then maybe a year, maybe two later, I went and spoke, and I just got to know more and more and, like, these um, these amazing teachers I thought were like the best of the best and when I found out that they were just a part of the rest and um, there's a whole crew of those people at that school and I met the principal and uh, we've been pals and uh, I'm man brother I'm so glad to finally do this this is an honor to be on uh, I watched that probably I didn't sleep much last night because I was really nervous because I wanted to be ready so I probably watched about twelve or thirteen of your podcasts. <laughs> get myself ready. Like, how much can you see in the background and all this stuff? But no, you're the man. You're an unusual national uh, gift uh, because you're a national, but you stay connected to the people that that you meet. It's incredible. Man, so, I can't um, listen, brother. I uh, I. 
here is uh, let me we're going we're to get to the eleven ninety nine story and all that, but here's what you've done for me, and this is what I tell people is there's a few schools I've been to around the nation that have ruined me, in that I used to have this bizarre contrived empathy for excuses, where I would um I would I allowed for years. I allowed people to talk me into why their challenges were significant and why they were having trouble succeeding. And, and then I've been to a few schools and yours is one of them where, you know what, man, we, there, there are zero excuses and we don't give up and we keep going. And for those of you around the country that think you have a challenging demographic or challenging customers that you serve, listen, (laughs) Man, I mean, you guys have every challenge in the book, and yet somehow you still come on top with those kids. And just, I mean, I think Will Smith says it best. I mean, you know, when he says, you know, you get on a treadmill with me, two things are going to happen. One, you're either going to get off first, or two, I'm going to die trying. And so I think we created a culture where excuses were just like viruses. They were like, sticky rashes and so if we don't give up on kids and we don't make excuses that's just a that's a formula for success yeah and i tell you what you know um you guys for whatever reason i'm not sure how it got to this point but you guys do what it's really hard for me to talk about and that is this um concept of extreme ownership where you know, the, if you know where it's everything is because of me. Like it's a hundred percent my fault, all of it. The successes, which are easy to take on, well, of course that's because of me. And on, <laughs> you know, and but you know, on the same, like if you're going to accept that, you have to accept the opposite of the challenges. Well, it's because of me. Like if the, whatever, if we're failing, it's one hundred percent because of me. And it's hard, you know. When you read the book, like you read Jocko's book, and you know that whole Navy SEAL thing. It's easy in the, in those contexts because that's such a masculine, violent, you know, field in which they discuss it. But to talk about it in terms of kids and teachers, and it did, but it's still the same, man. It's one hundred percent my fault, the successes and the failures. And you guys have somehow instilled that in a loving way in the culture there. I just I don't know any other way to do it. I mean, you know, I get sick when people would say oh well it's full moon or you know it's the 13th friday or whatever i don't care we didn't care uh if it was a full moon and there's something to that then that means we just got to raise our game the culture is driven by the adults and it should benefit the kids and uh, no we don't make kids scapegoats for anything we just hold them accountable yeah, dude. Here's here's the thing. It, you know what I love it. What's different about your uh, place is it's when you say it. Um, the culture is driven by the adults. We're not just talking about the leadership team, and we're not just talking about the leadership team and the administrator and the teachers. We're talking about every. I remember meeting your custodian and thinking this right here could be the teacher of the year in most elementary schools. She's incredible. She's still there. I retired. She's still there. And, uh, <laughs> you got off the treadmill was, first. Is she still on the treadmill? I did. Yeah, she's, she's Will Smith, not me. Uh, but uh, she was National Support Person of the Year, spoke in front of a crowd at 10,000 down in Orlando. But she is living, breathing 1199. She just, she's a role model for me. But yeah, we, we had the belief everybody was on the team. Everybody was on the team. And, and like, you're, you know, you're the example I, I, you know, I talk about like they, um, 
you know, in in average schools and even good schools, when you talk about school culture, that when teachers talk about it, they talk about the leadership team and they talk about the principal, and it's all because of the principal. It's all. But what's different, man, about your campus is the shift happens for schools when every adult on campus truly believes that school culture is up to them, them alone, personally. It's my job, and that's when magical moments are made. I mean, I. I- I agree. I, I think when we got to a point where we were at our best, it was when absolutely everybody was responsible. So if we had a grouchy teacher or educational terrorist that somehow made their way into our building, if they started kind of chipping away at the culture, then before it ever got to me, there were other adults stepping in and saying, hey, we don't do that here. That's not how we roll. Yeah. And that's powerful. When you don't know who are the protectors of the culture, you either conform or you shut up yeah. or you get out. Right. (laughs) And, you know, I mean, I always say like those are I eat. I love both of them equally. Like if a teacher were to show up on your campus and like buy in and just now they're all in 11. They bleed 1199. I love it. But at the same time, if someone shows up and realizes, wait a minute, these people work too hard. I don't want to do home visits. I I just want to stand in front of the class. Hey, man, listen, there's schools for those people, and they're everywhere. And just just go find your school. It's not your school. And, like, I love that person just as much because they knew it wasn't for them, and they can go somewhere else. I agree. We've we've, uh, separated from several people, and a lot of them good people. But, you know, they they might have a, you know, an extra kid. They might – just have different things that happen in their life, but the, the needs of the kids that we're serving don't change. So the adults either have to adjust or they have to move on. Yeah. And you know, it's kind of like that thing where um, there are some teachers, I don't find my elementary as often as, as I do at secondary where, you know what, man, I just want to teach. I want to teach. I want them to be students and I want to be a teacher and I want to, I don't have time to be anybody's parent, but at some schools, like at your school, Hey, listen, man, like we're, we're moms. Like I'm going to be a kid's mom. As much as I'm going to be this kid's teacher, and I'm going to be the nurse, and I'm going to cook, and I'm like do whatever it takes for that kid to learn, and it's okay if this isn't for everyone. Yeah, I mean, when you come to South Heights, we when you interview, and our interviews are really different, but when you come to South Heights, we give you a job description. Job description is created based on our beliefs, and uh, yeah, I mean, all those things are listed, so you know what you're signing up for. And uh, we say we're not K through five; we're K through life. So uh, yeah. You get in, you're you're connected to a kid forever. Hey man, let me. There's just so many I want to talk about, but I mean, just uh, since you brought it up, it's you know it's K through life, and uh, just an example of that. The last time I was there, man, there's a whole the entire your entire staff, everybody is at is at high school graduation celebrating those kids that you had seven years earlier. Con, you know, complete with spirit shirts and cheers and pom poms. Yeah, and you hey, man, were there. Get, so. You yeah, went. I was there. I, I had to witness the whole thing, man. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. So let's, man, here's what I want to know is when you showed up at that school on your first year, what did you find? What were some of the biggest challenges that you had as a, as a, as a leader? Well, first of all, probably, probably your biggest challenge was you. Cause, because <laughs> I was a mess. Yeah, I bet, I man. I know what I got myself into. But <laughs> now, what I found were uh, just beautiful kids. I mean, I'm not just saying that to sound sappy or good on a podcast, but I just found these beautiful kids that were just like, oh, here's another principal. Here's another adult. We've got a chance. And uh, kids just kind of came to me and they started telling me stories and a lot of stories I didn't believe. And I was like, "Uh, that's not how it goes here. Uh, But then I found out that they were uh, true. And so what I found was I found a handful of really good people. Um, 
And, but what I saw in them were they were shutting their doors. They were putting the construction paper over the windows and they were doing really good things for kids, but they didn't want anybody else to know because it was a pretty toxic culture. Yeah. Uh, they were making excuses for the most part. Um, kids weren't the focus. Adults were the focus. It was just not a very good place to be. And so, I mean, it just had to change. I mean, that was kind of the dumping ground and, and, uh, but the kids, they were just these beautiful ones. How, I mean, they would just come to me and they would just, I, I remember one kid came to my office. She's a nurse now in the hospital over in Evansville. And she came to my office. She said, Hey, Mr. Carroll, my teacher's asleep at her desk. All the kids are in there and she's asleep. And I was like, no, I should have known. I mean, kids don't lie. And she took me by my hand. She's like third grade. And I walked down, I walk in and there's a teacher face down on her desk sleep and the whole class still going. And these were the kids who were supposed to be too tough, you know, couldn't do anything. And they were leading their own class. So things had to change immediately. Yeah. You know, I wasn't hired to be the adults principal. I was hired to be the kids principal and things had to change. You know, I think that's, you know, as, when we walk into schools as, as school leaders, I think that's the biggest question of all is, you know, is this something, is this a five year plan? Or is this something we need to change like today? Because sometimes I think if they're functioning okay, maybe that five-year plan where you kind of ease into something new might be okay. But there are some situations that are so desperate. Like we don't have, we don't have five years. No, no, I wouldn't have lasted. I wouldn't. Have, I mean, it, I mean, I'm amazed continually how far certain adults will go to keep the culture of the status quo in place. I'm just amazed. I call it the cul-de-sac to know where they're experts in just keeping decisions from being made. And, and, and we had to take them on. So what we did was we pulled those handful of people. We took the construction paper off the window and it didn't matter if you're a teacher, custodian, whatever, if you were great and you weren't trying to eat kids for supper, you were on my leadership team and we held them up. We held them up. They got everything. They got the new computers. If there was a PD to, to Florida, they got to go everything. We made no bones about it. One of our beliefs that came out of that was you do what your greats need to thrive, not what your weakest need to survive. And uh, that drove some of my negative ones kind of crazy, but it had to happen. Yeah. You know, I heard that Kids recently. It, um, there's a, a, another one of my favorite principals. Um, she retired and accepted a leadership position at the county. And um, I talked to some of her teachers and she said, oh, uh, well, I know it looked great from the outside, but she had her favorites. I was like, yeah, she did. <laughs> of course she did. Of course. <laughs> you know, what are you talking about? <laughs> yes, she had her favorites. No, you weren't one of them. And the fact you're telling me this story is an example of why she weren't one of her favorites. I mean, absolutely. I mean, everybody tried to pigeonhole my favorites. Like, are they blonde? Are they, you know, young? But then when you looked at my favorites, there was just one like denominator. Yeah. You know, or a couple of denominators. Do you love our kids? Do you believe in them? And will you work your tail off to make sure it happens? That was my, I didn't care if you were tall, short, young, old, what your job title was. Didn't matter. Yeah. The, How many years did it take until you started? Was it, was it, was it weeks or months or years until you <laughs> thought, man, we like, you're seeing real results. Like, here we go. Well, we, we are on the trajectory. Now we have some momentum going. Well, I mean, we would have wins every year, but, at 97, 98 is when I got hired. 
and I was 28, I think. And then <laughs> a couple of years later, so I barely thing. remember. The, the fact that you're remember. 28 years old and you go running to school. I can't even, when I was 28, I don't even, I don't even know. Like there's no way I, they shouldn't even let me take kids on a field trip, let alone put them in a classroom with me. I can't imagine. I remember running. the first summer I came out with my first schedule and I walked into the library and I presented it to all these people, you know, kind of like Moses, here's the schedule. And they looked at it and it was really bad and they just started tearing it apart. And I went around the corner of the library and I just cried. Yeah. <laughs> and then I gave it to one of my teachers who's great at it and said, I am never touching the schedule again, but uh, 99, 2000, I think we we're in the bottom 25 of all schools in the state of Kentucky. And, uh, that's not a good place to be, but by 2004, we won the national school change award from Fordham university up New York city. Yeah. And, uh, that's when it really started rolling. And we would just, it was just every time we got rid of one of our more negative members, then we would replace them with a person that believed what we believed and my great people would hire those people. They were my, my hiring team. Yeah. And, uh, once we got to 51, 49, positive to negative. Yeah. That's when it blew out. It was awesome. Man, I loved it's, it. it's, it's kind of like after a while, the way I, it looks like to me, this schools that finally get in the groove and there's that tipping point in terms of personnel and people on the, you know, that join the family, you know, it's almost like the Chick-fil-A, you know, phenomenon where, you know, like nobody's come, no one's getting hired off the street. A chick, like they know people, and like they come from the same youth group at church, and they can't. All these kids that work there come from the same leadership group in their school, and you know, I think for um, you know people that join certain families of of schools and teachers, they start, they find their own, and and they're and they're and they're drawn because they know people and they live their life the same way, and they have the same passion and commitment. And after a while, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's just people know what's expected. At that point my best recruiters were my my people that worked there you know yeah. those people that came and saw you in nashville yeah you know when they would go to college classes they would uh they would find people and they pull them to the side it's kind of a little bit like a cult but a really positive kid-centric cult you know yeah so they bring them to us and then then we'd interview weird you know we'd we'd have interviews i remember one interview we we did outside we had coolers and lawn chairs one interview we did What's that first holiday before summer? Is it Labor Day or whatever? One of those, yeah. It was beautiful, and we did our interviews right smack dab in the middle of Labor Day because we figure if they won't come in off the lake to interview with us, they're not good enough. One time we did them at midnight. If they won't interview at midnight, they're not good enough. So just challenge them right off. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know that you know that you know that's also a great model for them to help them understand. Hey, man, this is a whole different thing. You know, yeah. and so we want to, um, you know, make we want some challenges along the way to make this a, a rigorous uh, process because we want to see how much it means. So at the same time, we want them to experience something different because like we always say, man, if you want to make a difference, you've got to be different. And this is a great example for them to get a taste of it before they ever get in the school. Yeah, yeah, you could see it. I mean. When we had kids interview, we had a kid interview team a few times. When we had kids interview, you could just watch them walk in. And the ones that got really rednecked and started freaking out, I mean, how am I going to put that person in front of 35 kindergartners? You know, there's right. no way. But the ones that just came in and saw kids were going to interview them and they glowed, you know, touchdown. 
Yeah. Um, technical touchdown. Yeah, yeah. And then so when we, when you started to see that shift in those first four, five, six years between 99 and then 2004, and um, what what was the buzz around town? was Because here's the crazy – because it's a smaller community. I mean, you guys aren't mm-hmm. in the middle of a giant city or anything. But here's what I've I've noticed in smaller communities that it's it's opposite ends of the spectrum. Like there's, like oh my gosh, I'm so happy for them. It's such an amazing thing they're doing. And then there's a, there's the other side of the spectrum. Like, well, who do they think they are? They think they're better than everybody else. That whole group over there. I don't even know. <laughs> Was that going on? Were you here? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I mean the the community that South Heights sits in absolutely fell in love because we were doing home visits. You know, we were taking their kids to college. You know, I mean, we were shaking things up and they saw that we weren't just coming in, you know, and then doing community service and then feeling good about ourselves on Sunday. We were a part of what was going on. Uh, I think we got most of our support really at that point from there was a lot of community members. We started catching the eye of business leaders, chamber of commerce members, because, you know, everything we did was based in good culture, stuff that was going on at Apple, stuff that was going on at Lassie and different companies. What we were doing was good culture pieces. So they got that. I'd say the biggest kind of what you were talking about were potentially some people at other schools. You know, when we started getting good test results, the first thing came out, we were cheating. You know, there's no way these kids could be passing these other affluent kids. We're cheating. And then, you know, like, give us a test again. We'll show it. Um, so we got a little bit of that. I mean, I think some administrators are a little worried because we were doing different things. So if we're doing different things and it works, then it causes, you know, potential ripples to where other people might have to do different things. So it just depends what kind of leadership we were working with. So that was kind of it. But I just reveled in it because the team members I had reveled in it and they were they just dug that because if someone said we shouldn't do it, couldn't do it just made us wanted to do it, do it more. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is, um, some schools that have a different population, they serve a different kind of part of the community, different kids, man, oftentimes like they don't have to do anything different. They don't have to do the things you had to do. Kids would just show up. They would sit down. They were already being nourished and loved at home. And so that was, you know, they didn't have, they didn't need it at school. So they would come in and Teachers, I wouldn't say they were teaching, they were delivering information. And because of who these kids were, they were, you know, able to recall that on the day of a test. And so they're having success with not a whole lot of effort. You guys are all in, like, from the heart. The time commitment is insane. And doing all these fun things and changing lives. I'm just I, like, like, I wonder what, um, what the thoughts of teachers from other schools were and how they viewed you guys and like that, like that kind of stuff. I think because we did, I mean, we were, and I saw a shift because, you know, I was there 22 years, so I was able to see a shift. I think at the beginning of when we were successful, I think, I don't think we intentionally came off, but we were like, you know, we're just going to do our thing. We're going to go. We don't care if you like it, you know, suck it if you don't like it. We kind of had that attitude. Yeah. I mean, we would go, we would go to elementary ball games and do fight songs and just bring the biggest crowds. And so it kind of looked like we were trying to say we were better than everybody else. I think long-term, eventually a lot of those people uh, finally figured out that we just took our job really seriously. Our job was to advocate, teach, and save the lives of our kids. You do whatever you want at your school. I don't care what you do. 
I really don't. I hope I wish you success. I don't want to pass you because you went down. I want to pass you because we're going faster. So I think long term, a lot of those detractors at the beginning finally figured out that we weren't anti them. We were just plus like heck out of us. Yeah. I mean, our job was just to raise our kids up. So um, I don't know. A lot of them, we didn't have a lot of in-district transfers because they saw how hard we worked. I mean, they saw my teachers doing home visits and they're on Saturdays and taking kids home and taking kids to tumbling, you know, in Evansville so they could compete in the cheerleading camp competition. Not everybody signed up to do that. That's cool. There's enough of us that will yeah. to put together a pool. Man, it, it makes sense how there, how possibly um, it makes sense now why there is a New England Patriots fan in Kentucky. <laughs> I have my cup out I thought people would immediately turn the podcast off. Right? <laughs> because I mean, that's the thing, culture, man. man. Yeah. Like that, that's why, like what we're, what you're describing, that's why people hate the Patriots. And you know, and of course they hate them because their team doesn't work as hard. They don't, they don't hire the best, you know, and like in, it, there's all different kinds of metaphors that we can, and, you know, analogies we can create, but even like the teachers that you've come through, like, it's kind of like the Belichick model where in the NFL, you can look at coaches throughout the league and see there's this tree of, they've come through that Belichick system at some point and now like you have sarah out there and she's doing her principal thing and and ryan now he's doing his ap thing up at at high school and um it's really interesting to see we've got about five or six principals that are 11.99 so whether people like it or not 11.99 spreading you know it's going throughout (laughs) the system so and those people you know several of those people that came and saw you in nashville are principals now and uh yeah, I texted them last night. I said, I'm going to be on Hal's podcast tomorrow. And they're like, yeah. yeah. So uh, <laughs> it's the greatest thing I'll ever be a part of. You know, I get them. It's the greatest thing I'll ever be a part of. It yeah. was just that special. It was one of those. And I had 22-year run of amazing people. I mean, how lucky am I? Right. And I think that's what it comes down to, man. I think um... – like that, that's, that's the, one of the common things that you guys, you know, what, there's this common thread among great leaders is that, um, it's, you know, when I talk to those schools that are average and good or struggling, they're, they're constantly telling me about what program they're bringing in and there's, we're going to bring in this new thing and we have a new curriculum and we have a new PBIS approach and we, you know, there's one thing after another, but like when I talk to you and, and Cassandra and, you know, and Springer, like I remember Springer when he won the Texas principal of the year i was asking him about that he he whispers he goes brother i'm not even the best principal in my school because like he <laughs> you know, he's like so self-aware he hires amazing people and that's why they had success yeah i mean it's i mean we we hired around our strengths one of my strongest team members bridget and i mean she is great at what she does and uh but you know she she did what she did. I'm a culture dude. So most of my time, 80, 90 percent of my time was culture. If I went into cop shivers class and tried to fake teach her how to show math, she would have laughed at me. Yeah. She would have pushed me and shut the door. You know, so my job was just to support her and build culture. So, yeah, I think I think all of us were really self-aware and uh, just stayed in where our strengths were. You know, I think that is the other thing is um, it's a it's a combination of those. It's being self-aware and also um, ha- like having the ego in check in terms of leadership and being humble. 
and and really owning whatever your thing is and owning whatever your thing isn't. I think oftentimes with, you know, we have these, um, cause leadership is, there's this weird vibe now with leadership where, you know, we have this hustle and grind and this charismatic approach. And it seems as if that draws a lot of people into faking that they're amazing and everything rather than just being humble and saying, okay, these are my absolute strengths. These two things. And these 98 things over here is where I'm weak. Let me do my two things and let's find some people to do these 98 things. Just makes sense to me. Makes sense to me. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know how anybody can think about it in other ways. You know, really, it would seem like, you know, it'd just be a bad use of time and resources and everything else. So, yeah. um, I don't know. You know, what, I mean, I, I, cause it's like, I wonder about this a lot and I think it's kind of like a fear-based thing where sometimes principals get in that position and they're terrified that people are going to find out the truth about them. And that is, they don't know everything rather than, Hey man, there's no way I could ever know anything. <laughs> and yeah. I'm certainly not going to be good at everything, even if I did know it. So here's what I do know. And here's what I'm good at. And let's, and let's focus on that and you can focus on the rest. That's why our custodian was painting murals. You know, you, we, we, one of our beliefs was, you know, work outside your job descriptions. We all met our job descriptions, but, uh, then we took off and we were empowered to do what was above and beyond. And, and my thing just happened to be culture, you know, whether I got it from the Patriots or my fraternity or watching guys like you, culture is my thing. So, um, I don't know. And, and you're right. Sometimes I, I think we try to, try to fake it to meet some kind of need or whatever, but it's never successful. Every time I tried to fake it, instead of just standing in front of my team and saying, I don't know this, or I sucked at this, it was a horrible failure. So yeah. why would I keep doing it? Yeah. And, uh, and also it's a great model for what, for what should be happening in the classroom as well with teachers. You know, just being completely authentic and honest in every way in front of our kids, because they even in your third graders can sniff it out when you're faking it. <laughs> kids that's why we let them interview because i had this one girl shelby and uh we we hired this one that had done some uh subbing there and then after they crashed and burned in like really bad ways about christmas uh shelby came to me this little fourth grade girl walked in my office and i could have told you she wasn't gonna be any good <laughs> and then i was like okay so shelby was on my hiring team you're hired <laughs> have a seat we have one coming to interview today look at shelby you know, the odd thing was that that first kid team we put together hired some of the best that we ever had. Really? They can spot it. You're right. They can spot it. They can spot a faker. Yeah. And what, and what is in interesting is um, what I, it's even true at the high school, you know, and the, the age of the kid doesn't matter. But what's funny is they don't have, they oftentimes don't have the language and the vocabulary, but they have that intuition. They can't put it into words yet, but they, mm. No, not not that one. They know. They can't tell you why, but they know. Mm -mm, mm -mm. That's exactly right. Yeah, That's exactly. Right. Hey, man. Here's what I'm wondering. Even at the even at the height of it all, and the peak of it all, and things are rolling. You've got people on board, and um, and the vibe is, high, and you can you can just feel it. And I always tell people, man, I can like. I can walk into a school and there's no kids. I can just feel what's happening in that school. And you have that feel and things are rolling at that point. What I'm, what I'm always interested in is what were you working on? Like what in your mind, because we all know, like if you're stagnant at some point, this thing is going to take a downturn. So at that point, even though it's great, like what in your mind, what, what were your challenges and what were you working on every day? 
Well, I think when we got really to be our very best and uh, we all, we would ebb and flow a little bit, but when we got to be our very best, then I think we really started taking on, I mean, culture is something you got to take care of every single day. Yeah. So that was always a standard. But then I think that's when we really start being creative and thinking, what does it look like if we take this culture of what we got and we go back to when a kid's conceived and we start taking it all the way to college. And then that's when the idea and we started experimenting with kids and we started wrapping them up. We wrapped about 10 kids up with just support and we stuck with them. That's when we came up with K through life. So having a really rolling school with an amazing team that was willing to think outside the box allowed us to expand and kind of, you know, what does it look like if we take some of these kids, wrap them up, give them everything they need long term? And what kind of results can we get? And uh, we did that with about 10. And I've been to 10 college graduations. It is it is the most um, I mean, there's so much evidence in like what it takes for kids to be successful in that, you know, and, and, and what I love about it, like we all know what it is and we all talk about it. And it's so much fun to talk about it. And people come to workshops. We can talk about what these kids need and why we can dig in down to our emotions and we can hug and cry. And we all but putting that into practice, that's a whole nother level of effort because it's fun to talk about it. You know, it's, it's like I tell, tell like um, for kid, man, it's all it's it's a bunch of fun to go get your school supplies and get color coded binders and put to actually use that stuff when it comes time to work. Because at some point it it's time to be done talking about it and time to start doing it. And that's when the work happens. And what I've come to realize is people oftentimes people like to talk, but they don't like to work. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's uh, the solution, I think. You know, because, you know, for kids, it's not a game of survivor. What we want to do, kids should never be the variable. Every kid deserves to finish the the race. And and to me, it's just it's so simple. What we came what came to us several years ago and we were rocking was, you know, we know what the answer is because we've either been parents or we've been parented. Yeah. I mean, unless you were created in a test tube and some vacuum somewhere, you've, you've been one of those. And what do great parents do? They don't give up on kids and they realize their kids are different and they really start to give their different kids exactly what they need to succeed. They don't pull in a program and say, hey, all the kids in the family are getting this. And uh, I mean, it's just right there. But the difficult part is long term. It's not something that can be done just in third grade. It's got to be done all the way up for kids that, that we serve. But I mean, it works. It works. I've been to 10 college graduations. <laughs> it's nothing better than seeing your kid walk across there that every dang bell curve and statistical jerk tried to tell you shouldn't be there. Yeah. And then best feeling. Because they had a whole bunch of people that loved them relentlessly and refused to give up. Yeah. And some of the stuff that we did was just like small stuff. Some of it's just filling out a FAFSA. I mean, yeah. I've got a doctorate. And I was struggling with my daughter's FAFSA the other night. Yep. If they make me look for another password, but it can stop a kid to where they just go, I'm done. Yeah. I'm just going to go, what? Takes a couple minutes. Man, I, I think we underestimate that as 
not just parents, but especially as educators, is just the logistics of, of getting a kid into college. And, you know, I had a, a student of mine, his name is Nick, and um, I mean, just absolutely love this kid. It had just unbelievable challenges uh, growing up. And, you know, I had him in high school a few times. I had him on my, I, I put him in my leadership programs. <laughs> and I thought he deserved it. He needed it. <laughs> like some kids I needed in the program, and some kids, those kids needed to be in the program. And I stuck him in. And he, he, you know, you, you end up graduating and uh, cr- create an amazing life. Um, went went to work immediately. You know, was making crazy money in oil and gas and different. And I said, "Hey, man, listen. At some point, you, you might want to think about going to college. Like, why not? I know you're making great money. You have a great job. I get it. But how about like changing the legacy of your family? And let's." And he said, "You know, he got all fired up." And, he, and I said, "Well, do it this week, man." Go down there and figure this thing out and call me back. So here's a kid. At this point, he's like in his early 20s making, you know, $75,000 and has a great job. I, I call him back the next week. I said, hey, man, did you do it? He goes, you know what, man? I went over there. I got in a parking lot. I walked around a little bit. I couldn't figure that out. I got my car and I left. Here, he couldn't even figure out how to get enrolled or apply. or He couldn't figure out anything. And I think with, you know, without – Without a team of people, the odds of a kid with no support at home, the odds of that kid shifting the legacy of their family with a college education is slim to none without a group of people that's working behind the scenes. I agree completely. That's why the Ottoman Kid Zone is born. That's why we're doing it. Carved out 10 blocks, and we're we're just going to get them all the way to that finish line, community members, and we're going to have our own little Harlem Children's Zone right in the east end of Henderson. Yeah. You know, even with my own kid, she graduated last year from high school and she, for whatever reason, I have no idea, but it was important to her where she wanted to run this program individually. Like she wanted to be in charge of all the applications and all that, but all right, I can't tell you. She had a, she had a class in school. The whole point of the class every day was college applications and stuff like that. Really? And she still made giant mistakes and she's still like <laughs> with all kinds of support. And this is a super smart kid, and I can't imagine somebody without that support trying to make it happen. No, I mean, and it, I've seen it. it. It'll just stop them, and then, then if no one follows up, then, you know, for all for the ten that we went to college graduation, there's been a lot of others that graduate from college. You know, there's fifty that didn't. Yeah, and, and they were at the same point. They just didn't have the support. So that's the stuff that'll keep an old principal like me up at night. That's the stuff that haunts you. Yeah, missed opportunity. You know, we had one, one, one big back to school retreat. And, uh, as a team, we all sat in front one at a time and named a, a failure that we had. I mean, we can all, like you talked about earlier, we can all talk about our successes, but when you sit up there, team member by team member, custodian teachers all say, I had this kid and I just kind of quit calling them. Yeah. It makes you never want to do it again. It does. And you know, when, 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 when I do my thing, um, when I first started doing my teaching rockstar thing, and when I figured out how to do it on an emotional level, I um, I would look at that audience, and there's it was there's a few different kinds of people in the audience, and some of the people like you and your whole crew are nodding and, they're, and they clap, and like I'm reaffirming what they know to be true, and which is just as important as new information, like to be reaffirmed with you know, and realize that there's other people out there, and yes, it works. It's really important. There's another group of people, like the second group, I can see that um, they used to have these thoughts and feelings, and now I'm bringing them back, and there's more the the first group is being reaffirmed the second group is more like a revival we're like oh now i remember but there's this third group 
And they sit back and they have their arms crossed and they don't take notes and they have a left eyebrow raised. And for years, I thought that they didn't buy, they thought I was full of shit and it hated me and hated the whole thing. And what I've come to realize over the years because of the emails I would get is this is a group of people that they're having a reflective moment on a kid because of the emotion that's in the event. And then that kind of professional development, they start thinking about kids that they gave up on and that, and it's painful. And I misinterpreted that. And now I know that they're going back in their minds and thinking about individual kids that they know they didn't do a good job for. And they know they gave up on them because all the rest of the teachers gave up on them. They just did what they were doing because that was the easiest path. And as an educator, man, for sure, those are the moments that haunt every one of us. Yeah. I mean, I, I can list them right now. It's just, yeah. Yeah. No, that's why you don't stop. For, you know, for you, um, and like for those people that are becoming principals now in their first years and like, you know, cause you've been there and you've done it and you've seen the challenges of I mean, a couple of decades of challenges and all this stuff you could never imagine it happened, actually happen. And like, what, like, what do you tell them when, when you, when you find out somebody's taking a job as a principal, do, do, do you offer them advice? Like, like what, like, what is there to say? Well, I mean, number one, I think, I think it's absolutely the best job in the world. I mean, being a principal, I don't, I don't know if you're right. It's like if you do it right, I think you're like a superhero with a bad body and no cape or whatever. You know, you're just you, you have that ability. But what what the advice I left the principal that followed me, I just wrote it on the marker board in my wall was you're going to be OK if you bring the same love and decision making here that you bring into your home. Yes. And so I think, you know, if a new principal walks into a school and it's not a job, they're walking into a school and they look at those 500 kids as their own. I am responsible for you. I'm going to make decisions, even if it's tough, even if it puts me at personal risk. I'm going to make decisions based on what you need. I'm going to advocate for you because I was hired to serve you. I think you're going to be OK. You may run in some walls. You may uh, have to move to a different school. But if you do that year after year, I think you're going to be able to sleep well and have long-term connections. That's the biggest thing. And then the other thing I think is, you said it earlier, you know this, I mean, no program is going to save your school. There's, there's, there's some good stuff, you know. Um, the schools that would come visit us, if they came in looking for a reading strategy, that was okay. But, when, but they weren't going to go anywhere. When they came in and looked at what we were doing for culture, until we took culture on first, you could have had a thousand programs, spent a million dollars, wouldn't have changed anything. Yeah. So culture is where it's at. It really is, man. You know, I always tell people, um, we just talked about this, about this on the last uh, podcast, is, um, you know, anytime somebody brings up, uh, you know, hey, check out this new, we have this character, whatever, new approach to building character. You know, what do you think about this program? And I always say the same thing. That program absolutely sucks. <laughs> if your teachers suck. <laughs> But also exactly that program right. is amazing if you have amazing <laughs> teachers. I don't know who you, I don't know who's working in your school, man. You show me the teachers, I'll tell you what kind of program that is. Because it really it, you know, and I know some, like some people think that, you know, this whole school culture thing is just one more thing I have to worry about, one more thing on my plate. No, man, this is the plate. Like it's the plate upon which we put all that other stuff. It drives everything. And here's the craziest part is like, we always knew it to be true, 
Like you knew it for 20 years, but the problem is, but what's crazy is like now we have all this research and data and like the data nerds coming in telling us that it's true. Like, yeah, that's what I've been telling you for the last 20 years. I mean, it's always been true and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're the Patriots, you're Southites, you're a tire company, you're Chick-fil-A culture. I mean, you got to build that, get great people. I heard one of your podcasts last night and you talked about a teacher in Eastern Tennessee or Eastern Kentucky with a chalkboard and a ruler can uh-huh. kick other people's butts. I mean, it's true. Yep. I could put pop shiver anywhere. She's a great teacher. She loves kids. She will have high expectations. My trick was to find about 20 cop shivers yeah. and then support them grow. So it's not rocket science. Yeah. I think um, here's, here's what I, I don't know if this is true. I think sometimes I, I feel like I've been in schools where they make they they make it rocket science. Almost, it's almost as if that way they don't have to take on the responsibility. Because when we make it rocket science, we can start finding all kind of flaws with the science. Well, we didn't have this approach right, and our and our Bluetooth never got set up with the Wi-Fi, so we can't. And you know, and when it's really, it just comes to that one person standing before kids. Yeah, I mean, you, I, I mean excuses that got to go professionally and personally. I mean, I've just watched it too many times and I've wanted to make some myself yeah. and I make some, but you know what? If I wanted a six pack right now, I'd have a six pack. If I want to work hard enough at it. And if, if, if it's just, I don't know, excuses got to go. We make too many excuses. I don't care if budgets down. I really don't care what the state government's doing. I, I don't care what my retirement, I mean, I care, Yeah. but it should never make its way to kids. It just changes what we have to do. Yeah. We do it that way. I think we're okay. Yeah. And, you know, man, I, I know, and, you know, people get tired of my examples, but I don't care because it's such, it's, uh, it's so, it's so proven to be true. And that is, you know, when you look at these schools on the Gulf Coast, which, by the way, if they got flooded again yesterday, some of these schools had another two, three feet of water in them. They just, they, they had just been rebuilt. And, you know, like when I, when I go and visit those schools, they were out of school for a month. And then I go back and they have one campus out of their four campus in the community. The one can, and they have the entire district is in one campus now. And they have three classrooms inside of one. And they have blue tarps hanging to separate rooms. And there's, there's no there's – no, none of the computers work. They all got flooded. And you know what? Scores are up and, and attendance is up and everything is positive and, and people – and here's why, you know, looking back, the reason I believe that all that um, the amazing stuff happened is because they were forced into a position where all they had left were people. There, there was nothing else. There was no, there's no, there's no uh, new curriculum coming. There's no new technology coming. Nothing works. They have no supplies. They have no resources. They have a person. That's it. And kids, and collectively, they they built. They were forced to build these relationships, and and as a result, it's like proof that this thing works. I, you know, that kind of stuff drives innovation. It drives you to do what's what's necessary and. Uh, you know, when, when I hear people make excuses or I teach graduate classes and they tell me about, oh, we've got 800 kids and 40% free and reduced, what do you expect or whatever? And we called it visit the butt kickers. Just find someone that's got it way tougher than you that's kicking your butt. And then once you go do that, because that's what we did, once you go do that, you come back making excuses is stupid. Yeah. You just said up coming off like a ninny and I don't want to be a ninny. Uh-uh. Yeah, I remember... Um... 
like growing up, I remember uh, I was with my dad. We we're looking at cars. He wanted to buy a new car, and there's like you know, there's one that had this thing called power windows. I was like, oh my gosh, look at this, and um, and all this new stuff. And um, and my dad, he didn't want to buy it. And I said, well, why not? He goes, ah, it's just too much. It can go wrong with it. And you know, I think sometimes we start bringing in all this new stuff and new ideas and fancy this and new shiny that. It's just you know what we start focusing on that, and when that goes wrong, we start blaming that rather than owning it myself. I'm the problem. Absolutely. Yeah. Kids don't achieve. That's on us. Kids don't behave. That's on us. They all have to be personally responsible for their effort, but when they don't do it. That's on us. Adults got to shift. Yeah. And isn't that interesting, though? Like, I find that, um, you know, I put up a, a, a picture last week. It was going around, and a lot of them are going around now. And, it, and it, you know, these bulletin boards around the country in schools where it says, like, meet the person that is responsible for. And it has, like, seven or eight mirrors. And it says your actions, your future, your success, your failures. That, and, and, and they're in front of kids. And I'm thinking, man, they need to raise the height of those mirrors because it's the same thing for educators. But we're here we are telling that to kids but how often do they really get to see an example of that yeah i mean i i mean if i go back my 22 years i got more excuses way more excuses from my adults than i ever did for my kids yeah. my kids that were getting themselves up my kids that were figuring out their mom's tax information to, to put in their fafsa they didn't make excuses for me you know it was more, more adult thing but you know it's just a mind shift yeah it really is, man. So in in your classes right now, tell me what classes you're 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 gonna teach. Or, I don't know about teaching, but what classes are you gonna sponsor over there at the university? <laughs> right now, I've got two classes because they kind of they call it onboarding, so they onboard you kind of slow. So I got two classes. I've got my graduate class, community leadership. So I'm working with current teachers. Cassidy's in that class, and uh, they're getting their masters in administration. So we're talking about you know how to do really great things between schools and communities. And then my other class, so it's really fun. I've got this intro to special education class. So I got a bunch of freshmen in there, like 28. And I've told them they're my pseudo kindergartners. You know, I'm missing 500 hugs a day. And so I'm oxytocin levels are low, but I can't go hugging a bunch of 18 year olds. That'll be creepy on a college campus. But I just, I love them. Yeah. I love them because they are the beginning. You know, I showed them a clip from Dead Poets Society the other day, and most of them hadn't seen it. Yeah. Like, so then I made them bring in an old book they didn't like. And you know what? We're going to be ripping some pages standing on top of desk and not just for the sake of it. We're going to take a picture. And I told them, I'm, I'm going to tell them that I'm going to visit you in about 10 years. If you're not doing this in your classroom, I'm going to take you out of that classroom, beat you because, you know, you've got to keep it. So that's what I, I mean. You know, just it's exciting. I mean, and I'm going to recruit all my kids from South Heights to come to USI. Yeah, Damn, I'll be the principal again, sort of. Right, man. I, yeah. I got to tell you, man. I've um, I've I've been to some universities to speak, and oftentimes they bring in um, like when these kids are out there in the field doing their student teaching, and they have to come back and present that silly portfolio that they spend months making, and they think is going to make a difference in their world, and um, and they bring me in to talk, and um, I, I and I meet their professors. I can't. There's usually one or two I I see okay this 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 guy gets it this lady gets it. she's been there but for the vast majority of the professors I wonder when was the last time they were in front of kids <laughs> like when was the last time they were on the floor you know crawling in a hallway with a kid because I, I, I just don't I don't see it in there 
there's a feeling I get. Like I can see it in their eyes. I can see the compassion. I see, I can see when they can identify with what I'm talking about. And oftentimes I find um, instructors and professors that I just wonder when was the last time that they were because here's the thing, man, even when they come from a principalship into a professor, oftentimes they weren't a principal like you. They were a principal. They're running things from the office rather than the hallway. Well, I mean, and I think I've, I've kind of, cause I could just, you know, I wasn't going, when I retired from South Heights, I didn't, I just didn't want to join any organization. I'd been in it too long. And, you know, I had Dr. Stacy over there, Dr. Stacy Cowan. And so she's a, you know, as you would say, she's a killer. So she's on that staff. There's a great uh, professor named Mariah who's just out of the classroom. Uh, the head of the graduate programs worked her way up from bus driver to now she's head of the graduate programs. So I think I've found a unique spot. And they've told me uh, that they wanted me because of what you just said, that recent link, that in there. And so I think I'm a part, I feel like maybe a part of a unique situation where this university really wants to to connect deeply yeah. into what teaching is again. So I might have lucked out. I think so. I, when in, when I was working on my graduate degree, I remember um, I didn't have the thought. It was I had the thought years later. I don't think I had a single professor that I can't even remember. I can't even know that they never once talked about their experience in the classroom. I know one had been a superintendent of schools in Chicago. One had been you know a researcher this and a researcher that. And I, I'm not sure that I can't I can't remember anyone talking about what it meant to be in the classroom in front of kids. Yeah, that's, which is what the whole thing's awful. about, man. I know. I know. I don't, I don't want to get away from that. That's why I remind the kids in the class. So there's going to be some dynamic teachers coming out of there because we are going to get them ready to change the world, not just to have a job. Yeah. Having a job sucks. You want to change the world. That's what I always say, man. Like, um, here's, you know, it's, it's really like, what are our goals? And, you know, that just the having a job. And that's what I always say, man. It's really, really easy to quit a job. It feels fantastic. But to quit a family that has a giant vision, a giant goal, and collectively they're on the same path together, that is, inst- that is ridiculously hard to quit. But quitting a job is amazing. I love quitting jobs. You know, no one really knows this. You know, the, my last night at South Heights, it was this summer. And I went around and I wrote a message on every one of my teacher's boards. And you know, I was painfully honest with some and most of the others. I was like, you know, how much I loved them. But, you know, I just walked around and I touched every block. And I just cried like a baby. I mean, through the whole school, I was double huffing. It's just when you have a great culture and you're a part of something bigger than yourself, I mean, I just know I'll never find that again. You know, I, I just won't. But how lucky was I to find the right group of crazy people that kind of all got it for 22 years. Yeah. I'm the luckiest man on earth. Yeah. That's just it. It's like, um, I've recently heard an interview with one of the actors from breaking bad talking about like having these new, he goes, yeah, I mean, these, this new job I have is okay. I mean, it's cool, but it's, it'll never be that. And they've all come to realize they'll never recreate what they had on that show. It, you know, and, and I think it's the same true. Same thing is true. Oftentimes in education, like you find that one place, and maybe it was the one year. I remember we had a couple of years at a school I taught at, and I just knew. Like looking back, I knew it then as much as I know it now. These are the best years of my life. Absolutely, they were so good for me. I got a tattoo. Yeah, I remember talking <laughs> about that. This, this guy. I told is, them over at USI. I told some of the students they were asking me about that tattoo, and I told them I said, "If you guys play your cards right." 
couple of years with this place cool enough, I'll get hashtag the 8600, but you got to show me. Right. I don't just move up my body for anybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and man, tell, now tell me what you got going on with your leadership consulting and, and what you and Stacey are doing. Dr. Stacy, probably, you know, the best educator I've been around. And, uh, you know, we went through the doc program together and she is just a badass chick and she gets it. And so we decided there are a lot of schools out there and businesses and whatever that could benefit from us just kind of working with them. And so we formed this leadership consulting company called Ideas Rule Leadership Consulting. We've done a few jobs. Uh, we're ready to do way more. We're definitely unconventional. If, uh, if you want a training in the middle of the night, we'll come and do it. If you want us to train 7,000 parents, we'll come and do it. It doesn't really matter because we'll cater what we know to what you need. And if you need something we don't know, we're going to be like you talked about earlier. We're going to say, we don't know it. Don't hire us. You know, so we just have an opportunity and, and we want to keep, I put my little bio I filled out for you. My biggest fear is to not remain relevant. And this is one way we can remain relevant and maybe bring that culture. I was just talking about to your school. Yeah. You know, that's, that's what I always, um, you know, what, what I love about it is, you know, we live in this time of the social media. We have these weird, you know, kind of edu guru type things. And like, and, you know, I, I'm sure they're great people. I know they do a great job on stage, but I still wonder, like, do, like, there's very few people that actually have real life experience, decades of experience of because that's what it comes down to is all this collection, the collection and inventory of experiences over the years. And, and I know they've written cool books and I know they have a cool title and I know, but I, you know, unless they have real life experience, I wonder, you know, just how valuable it really is. By the time I get done writing a book, you know, thousands of kids have already went through bad schools and not changed. So I'm not going to write a book. I just want to get into schools. You know, I can walk into school and Stacy can walk into school and you can walk into school and point out easy wins. You know, these are things that we could immediately impact yeah. and start to change things. And so, I yeah. don't know. can I brag about you real quick? Yeah. Well, hold on, man. Let me, let me talk about the book things. I get this too okay. about the book thing. I got to brag about you for a little bit. You got to uh, give me like a minute and a half. Okay. Here's the thing about the book is I get a lot of heat about that. And, um, and I'm gonna be honest, I have like seven or eight attempts and, um, what happens is when I, as soon as I get one chapter written, I realize I, six weeks later, I don't believe the same stuff I believed in that first chapter. You know, and I think if that's what you're doing, it, you know, typically if you're still learning and still growing and because I'm forced into a position where once I see something amazing and I'll write about it, but then I walk into another school and I see something, the same thing, even more amazing done in a better way. That's more effective for more kids. I'm like, Oh my God, what was I thinking? How come I didn't know? And then I, it just it, like everything I write, if it's meaningful, it, something outperforms it and out ideas it two months later. That's the challenge of it all. I agree. I agree. I went to one one thing, model schools, and Dr. Dagger was talking about, and he was like, you know, by time by the time something becomes research based and you know, can be used as a model, the research that was used is outdated. So, you know, just let's go after it now. Yeah, I, I like research. Let's do it right now. Yeah, and that's what that's why I like video. 
Like if I have an idea, yeah. I'll make a video and, yeah. and it's still there, but you know, but two, but like a year later, it's so deep into the feed that people can't go back. Cause I, I, I came up with something better since then anyway, <laughs> but they'll find it if they want it, I guess. <laughs> My goal is not to be all your podcasts. You have a picture and there's one lady cause I'm really fearful. I didn't get the one by one picture. Right. And all you can see is her eye. I like that and one. I'm afraid to be like the Cyclops lady. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So I had to go down to find that one. But yeah, uh, oh, you're relevant as they come. I appreciate it, man. Can I brag about you? Yeah, name? give it a shot. I might have to shoot it down, but go ahead. All right. So, you know, I've been around national guys before. And, you know, Sarah and Chrissy came back from Nashville all fired up. And they said, you got to bring them in. You got to bring them in. It took me a couple of years. And we finally brought you in. And you just electrified this whole crowd and you did a lot of reaffirming, but then you did some new teaching. But what I was used to in the past is get someone like you and then, you know, you give them their check and they leave, but you hung out, uh, you stuck around, then you came back on your time and did another event with us, you know, kind of like a collaborative project, but then it didn't stop there. You wrote, you wrote my, um, my daughter who was going to Murray state freshman year, you wrote her a, you wrote her a letter, you know, into her mailbox and, and, you know, she's like a big fan. And then last year I'm in a flipping movie. I'm trying to pay attention. And, you know, I see this where you post about something that my daughter posted about and you talked about it. And I had to walk out of the movie theater and just start crying like a baby. Who does that? You do it. And I think that really links to why people don't just pay for you. They value you. And, and I cannot say it enough. I mean, how you are an uncommon guy and I aspire to be more like you. What you do with people like me and Cassidy and all the other leaders you impact, that's what I try to replicate with my kids. You just don't let go. You support us until we're successful. And you're giving me an opportunity today. And I mean, and you just don't stop. You know, it's incredible. No, I appreciate it. Here's um, that kid of yours. Um, that was a mind blower. I think she was a first year teacher when I see she posted mm -hmm. that. Yeah. So, so to, to remind people, what happened was I'm scrolling through, and when I should be working, but I'm scrolling through Facebook, and thank gosh I was is. Because she posts something on there, and it says, "It looks it's on the it's on the front of her door, outside of her classroom, in the hallway, and just sign." It says, "Today we are working on whatever the topic was they're working on. Please feel free to come in and and give us feedback." And she has like forms where teachers can come in and give feedback on her as a first year teacher. And I'm thinking, what is she, what kind of psychopath is she? What are we dealing with here? <laughs> because as a first year teacher, the only thing I want to do is is measure out my three and a half inches by twelve inches construction paper, cut that out, tape it <laughs> on my skinny chicken wire window, so people have no idea what I'm doing. The last thing I want is somebody's opinion because I know I'm terrible. I don't want anybody reaffirming the fact I'm terrible. <laughs> But the fact that she's asking for feedback in her first few months as an educator to have that kind of courage is just insane. Yeah, she was raised the eleven ninety nine way. You know, there's yeah. this whole crew of teachers that are making their way out, and we hired one of them, Peyton. And I mean, there's this whole crew that's just making their way through. They got it good from the beginning, and, and Cassie's unusually uncommon herself, but you know, yeah. she gets it. Yeah, that's, that's the thing, man. Like she completely gets it in that. Um, 
Like when you have, I think we are all terrified at the beginning, whether it's the beginning of a principalship or bringing, you know, beginning of a classroom teacher, we're all terrified of, of uh, being outed, you know, as not knowing, but like, that's why you're there. We know you don't know. Everybody knows. And what I think is about what's great about her, the reads, it's not a matter of courage. I think more so she's just filled with a passion and a vision and a mission. And when your passion and vision and mission is so strong, like you don't need courage anymore because you're filled with a mission, a mission and that vision and passion and that, and, and of course she's open to feedback. Like that's the way she's going to arrive what she's trying to get i love it man i thought about doing that at the university level but i have to be honest i chickened out a little bit i was like <laughs> i gotta get my game together a little better before i put that sign on the door so cassidy's got me yeah <laughs> that's awesome hey man for any of those um those um uh principals out there and school leaders and classroom leaders if you could give them a couple of ideas of of something to focus on because you know here's the thing man we're about to get into the months of struggle where people you know people think that teachers struggle at the end of the year no man it happens like the beginning of october you know end of september into the first couple weeks of october that's when things like they get real because they realize oh my gosh i'm exhausted i'm frustrated and we're not even close to christmas and reality sets in and like in those moments, like what would you, for you, what would you tell people? I mean, one of our biggest and best beliefs at uh, South Heights was lead like you want to be led. And I think you hit the nail on the head a lot. I think a lot of times when we get into leadership, we kind of feel like we have to do it a certain way and we kind of get away from our core, you know? So I would, my advice would be reflect back to your absolute very best moments as a teacher very best moments as a student. What did you enjoy the most? What got you to where you were working really hard, but enjoying every single minute of it and do that. I mean, lead like you want to be led. So if you want to hug a kid, hug a kid. If you want to dress up for Halloween, dress up for Halloween. If you want to, you know, sit in a classroom half the day and just help the teacher teach, do that lead like you want to be led, quit faking do what moves you. If it moves you, more than likely it's going to move someone else. Um, but be vulnerable. Realize that, you know, you guys are in this together. There are people that have strengths where you don't and just come together. I mean, it's this magical ride just waiting to happen when you just open up and say, let's go change the world and let's do it together. I'm offering you a chance on this rocket ship if you want to go. I mean, it's the best. I can tell you how it's the best feeling ever. It, it's just magic. So just why hold off? Why wait till next October? Do it now. Yeah. Just open the doors. I don't know. It's not very specific, but man, I don't know. I would just do that. But you know what, man? Like like that is just just the um, <laughs> you know, it speaks volume about who you are and your personality. Is like every like everyone else would say, hey man, you either get on the bus or get off the bus, but you're on the rocket ship. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Buses are slow. <laughs> we don't have time we for a bus, go. man. We need a rocket ship for this program. Unless it's a magic school bus. You know. <laughs> yeah. Miss Frizzle. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Frizzle rock. I love it, man. Oh. 
Hey, listen, I want to thank you for all you've done for me. And, um, and you know, it just, you know what it is, man? It's the exponential effect of um, being able to relay what you do. And more so, not just you, but the, those people that have come together over at the 1199 and be able to show the, that story. And what it also has done is not just give me um, examples of what's possible, but you know, like, like we can have ideas of theoretically might be possible, but until you see it working in action, because, you know, not every time, not, not everything that happens in theory can actually happen, but in your world and over there, you know, on your side of the train tracks over there off of, you know, main street is like, re that's really, um, like to see it really happening. And there's evidence that I can point to and say, look at that, man. That I'm not just telling a story. That it's, it's not, this isn't anecdotal. That's a real school with real people. That's it's really happening, and and providing me with that evidence, man, has changed everything. And I can't thank you enough. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll keep on doing cool things and changing things, and from different angles. And I don't know. I appreciate you letting me be on your rocket ship. And uh, no, this was an honor. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. All right. I love you, Hal. Love you, brother. Go have an amazing uh, rest of your Friday and awesome weekend. And, uh, and, and uh, we'll chat soon. Back at you, man. Thank you.